Superpowers on the Superpower Up podcast, the show that lifts the voice of love from orgasms to superpowers and everything in between. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sex, Love, and Superpowers podcast show. I'm your host, Tatiana Berenday, and today I am so delighted to have with me our guest, Jaya Ma. Uh, We are going to be getting intimate with your erotic blueprint today. This is going to be such a fun show. Let me tell you a little bit about Jaya before we get started. Internationally recognized award-winning sexologist and best-selling author, Red Hot Touch, Jaya is the creator of the Erotic Blueprint Breakthrough and the Erotic Blueprint Quiz. Through more than two decades of client observation and clinical research, she discovered a map of arousal that reveals your specific erotic language of arousal, a revolutionary framework to create deeper connection and sexual satisfaction. Welcome to the show, Jaya. Yay. Oh, I'm so pleased to be here and so grateful. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm really, thank you so much for joining us here. Um, Before we dive in, I'm really curious to hear your answer to the question, what are your superpowers? Oh my goodness. So many superpowers, but you know, it is sex and I do teach in sex. So I'm going to share my orgasmic superpowers. So I have the ability to have hundreds and hundreds of orgasms. And it's to me, like, it's like I jump into a wave of orgasmic energy and it just starts to ripple through my whole body. And once it gets going, it's actually hard to stop. And so <laughs> I, I have, I guess, the superpower of having multidimensional, nonstop, full-bodied orgasms that just roll and roll and roll for hours. I love it. I love it. Yes, I've, uh, I've tapped into a little bit of that myself, too. And that is a very fun superpower. It is. Yeah. Um, Okay, so tell us about the erotic blueprints, and I'm really curious, like how how you came up with this, how you discovered it, how it revealed itself to you. Yeah, so I've been working in the field of sexuality from the body's point of view, so more of a somatic, we call it somatic sexology, um, for over two decades now, and in that time, I have had the opportunity to work with thousands of bodies. And what I started to notice over the years, this is probably like 12, 13 years into my practice, was a pattern. You know, one couple would come in and they'd say, you know, having trouble with arousal or orgasm or we're just not feeling attracted to each other. And I would do something I'd done a session before that worked, but then it didn't work. So then it would be this discovery session of, okay, well, what works for this person? And I started calling it like different ways that people were wired erotically. And I'll never forget my first, like the light bulb went off session. And I was working with this couple and I was hovering my hands about two feet off of his body. And all of a sudden his body started kind of shivering and jerking and quaking. And he, he got this really big erection and his wife's eyes like tripled in size. <laughs> Both looking at me like, what is going on? Because this had been a problem in their relationship. And she'd been reading like the magazine sex tips and trying uh-huh. all the stuff, you know, that we think we should be doing and nothing was working to build the arousal. And here Ida wasn't even touching and the arousal went through the roof and he was having orgasm. I mean, like all this stuff started happening. 
And that was my first really big like aha moment of, well, wait a minute, some people are wired energetically. That's one of the blueprints which we'll talk about. Mm-hmm. And then it also came out of my own pain. You know, sometimes I say heal or heal thyself, but at mm-hmm. this particular time, I just had a baby and my partner and I were really trying to find our way back. And I'd come to bed at night and initiate sex. Here I was, you know, I was already like, we had written three books and, you know, I had a lot of success around being a sex expert or whatever. And um, here I was, you know, trying all these different things with my partner. And I was, I tried striptease class and I'd get down on the floor in my G string and be like all writhing around and he'd say things like, you know, that's just too obvious. Why are you doing that? And I couldn't get, I didn't understand at this time yet, like the light bulb hadn't fully gone off with these blueprints. And so, you know, then I just felt bad and felt like he must not like my body anymore mm-hmm. after having a baby or, you know, I started making up all kinds of stories because that's all you can do in that, in that situation. And then, you know, I'm coming to bed saying, let's have sex. And he's like, I'm tired. And, and then I'm in the car and I'd like reach in between his legs and start touching his genitals while he's driving. And he'd look at me and be like, why are you doing that? I'm trying to drive. <laughs> I'm like, but isn't this what I'm supposed to be doing? You know, I know all the sex tips. I know how to give great oral sex and I know how to touch my partner. I wrote the books on the techniques and I can't get my partner to have sex with me. So this, this became a, you know, crying myself to sleep at night situation. If you can imagine everyone who's listening, you know, I'm rolling myself to bed at night on one side and he's rolling to the opposite side and Mm. I'm I'm crying, you know, I'm, I'm crying Mm. quietly Mm -hmm. and he's just starts snoring. (laughs) He gets to sleep really easily, but he has, is having the thoughts of, I'm not very confident. I don't know how to turn her on because he actually was initiating sex, but I was missing all of the signals because I didn't speak the same language that he did. Mm-hmm. So part of these blueprints came out of a time that was really painful in our relationship where we started questioning staying together after we'd had a baby and, and me really hitting rock bottom of like, do I even love this person? Like, who is this person I made a baby with? And we're just not connecting anymore. We just lost our, our way. But yet I was determined that went on for a little while, but I was really determined to get us back on track. And the deciding moment, the turnaround moment, there's a very happy ending to the story, but the turnaround moment for me was to no longer have those thoughts. Like I just wasn't going to allow myself to have one foot out the door anymore. Mm-hmm. I was going to put both feet in and I said a hundred percent commitment, no matter what it takes, I'm going to figure this thing out and I'm going to do it for a year. And if at the end of this year, this is not different than uh, then I will leave or, you know, whatever is going to happen will happen at that point. But the, I was going to commit for one entire year, all in a hundred percent, whatever it took, I would make all the changes. And I wasn't going to tell him that I did that. It, and I, I ended up telling him 10 months in, <laughs> but just because it was such an amazing moment. We were in Jamaica on a pier and there was a lightning storm out over the ocean and <laughs> we were served food in this big bed on the pier. It was just an epic moment. And so I, I told him then. <laughs> I love, I love that. And I love, there's, there's so much power in commitment. Um, so much power in commitment. It's a, it's a interesting. You say the one foot in one foot out is something I've been just in my own personal life thinking about a lot lately. Um, 
just real quick, what do you think, I mean, I'm making an assumption here because you wrote the books and because of um, the work that you've been doing that your sex life before you had a baby was pretty good with your husband. Oh yeah. (laughs) What, and and it's not uncommon for, for the sex life to change postpartum. I mean, that's an incredibly common thing that I personally don't think we talk enough about. And so there's so much shame around it because no one's talking about like, yeah, that's going to change and it's going to change drastically and whatever. But, um, but what do you think, like, what was the main shift? I think the first, the, the first piece was in the beginning of a relationship, your blueprints tend to be a little bit more sexual. I'll, I'll put it that way. You know, like things are hot biochemically, things are new. And we were in a new relationship. So we, I was pregnant about a year into our relationship. Okay. Gotcha. So we had had this newness and novelty and we weren't living together. And, mm-hmm. you know, there were a lot of things there that made that really hot. But what happens over time, as time progresses, the biochemistry changes in Mm -hmm. relationship, you have a baby, that's a huge biochemical shift. You have, um, and then to mention a sleep deprivation. deprivation. (laughs) Um, He had a major, so he had a really great business. And this was like, I think it was 2009. And the business Mm -hmm. crashed, right? Mm -hmm. Now, guy who's supporting the family, all of a sudden the finances dry up like two weeks after our son was born. So we have new baby, financial struggle, um, biochemical, huge, we were co-sleeping, which I, you know, I wouldn't change for anything. Our son is so amazing. And, uh, but the co-sleeping creates a hormonal situation in which, you know, our, he was having more estrogen in his body and lower testosterone. Um, so his drive was just not there. Plus then you start to default into what is your blueprint and his blueprint is not one of high drive and mine is. So even though I had pelvic pain after our son was born, I had a major tear. We could talk about this. I know you, you like, uh, have a lot of moms who listen. So, you know, I had a major pelvic floor tear, which then caused an inability to have intercourse because I grew scar tissue up over my vaginal opening. So I had oh that. I, I'm so sorry to pause you. We do yeah. have to go to break. And this is like, I, I don't want you to have to stop this story because <laughs> I'm like, this is really important to hear the full thing. Well, we have to go to quick break. Um, so will you please tell our listeners where they can go to find out more about you? And then we Yeah. So if, if you want to find the, your, if you want to find your blueprint, you can go to eroticbreakthrough.com to take the quiz. That's eroticbreakthrough.com. And if you just want to find out more about me, it's Jaya, J-A-I-Y-A.love, L-O-V-E. Okay. We are talking with Jaya Ma. We are getting intimate with your erotic blueprint. And obviously this is like a really important story. So you're just going to stay tuned because you want to hear the rest of it just like I do. Are you here to change the world? Do you talk about things like vibration, frequency, awakening, and consciousness? Are you pretty sure you have superpowers? The Superpower Net is unlike normal coaching programs and conscious communities. We provide training, intuitive guidance, peer-to-peer learning, intensive one-on-one coaching, and a high vibrational network of people just like you. When you join the Net, you get 24-7 access to a collaborative group of people who support you as you master 
master your personal power and unlock your superpowers. If you're ready to use your superpowers to change the world, then join the superpower net today. Visit superpowerexperts.com slash the net to learn more. Okay. So set the stage again. We are postpartum. You had a lot of pelvic pain. You had a vaginal tear and yet you still had a high drive for sex. Yep. I had grown scar tissue over the vaginal canal. So I couldn't, we couldn't necessarily have intercourse, but my drive was still there. My desire Mm -hmm. and my hormones had crashed. So um, I actually went through menopause postpartum, which was a strange whole thing. Two years later, I still was, nothing was kicking back in. And then I went and got my hormones tested and like had no sex hormones, <laughs> follicle stimulating hormone was high. So it was just like all this stuff was going on in my body, but it was like mind over matter. And this is where blueprint can rule. You know, even though I had all that going on, my, my default mode is high, high, high drive. And one of the particular blueprints was we can talk about what those there's five different ones yeah, types are, but my partner on the other hand already wasn't high drive but because we had the beginning of our relationship where everything's hot and juicy and there's a little bit more of that, you know, and then when he went into default, it was a totally different, it was like I was with a totally different person that not having the baby really kicked that into his Hmm. normal mode of what his sexuality looked like. Do you think there was also a piece playing out in you of like, I'm supposed to be the sex lady. So I have to be more sexual, even though all this stuff has happened. Yeah. Oh my God. Yes. And I'll talk about that. Um, that's something that just recently changed last year. Um, so that's talk something. We about can talk about. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we got no more breaks. We're, we're free and clear here. Let's talk about it. Yeah. So, um, so when I talk about these blueprints, let me frame it this way. The blueprints are you, like your personality type. Let's just call it your erotic personality, but that has been oftentimes conditioned. So we have in our culture, a lot of sex negativity, um, a lot of here's who you should be as a sexual being, like my partner really struggling with, oh, I'm a guy. So therefore, when I see my partner naked, I should just want her or, you know, like, like that kind of like I should have high drive or I should have this particular blueprint. So we have gender stereotype, we have blueprint, you know, like this is how I'm supposed to be. This is how I'm supposed to behave. And so that can play a role into the blueprint map. Big life changes can play a role into your map. And the blueprint essentially is showing you where you're limited, not necessarily, like like for me, it's about full expansion into all of who we are as erotic beings. Hmm. And what I see is this is a journey from the conditioned erotic identity to the true identity, to mm-hmm. essence of who we are as erotic beings, but also who just who we are, what we are. And this journey then can have, I was the same blueprint for 10 years. Nothing shifted even after the birth of my son, which usually would have been a big shift for people. So the blueprint isn't like, this is who I am and now I'm stuck in that identity. The blueprint is about, this is who I am and I'm not wrong. I'm not broken. There's nothing that I need to change, fix, or improve. However, if I want to have these superpowers, because each blueprint has its superpowers and each blueprint has its shadow side. Mm -hmm. And the shadow sides are only shadows if there's something that's distressing for you. Mm 
And so if I want to, you know, if I want to expand in this, I really like to come from the frame that no one is wrong. No one here is broken. And there's nothing that we need to change, fix, or improve, or annihilate in ourselves. We are already whole and complete right here where you are in your sexuality. It's more of a peeling back to reveal what's already been. And so just putting it in that frame. The blueprints also what I've seen is they give us a language. I think that there's a mythology out there that couples are incompatible sexually and I'd really like to bust that myth mm-hmm. around that because it's not that you're incompatible. Think about it this way. If you fall in love with someone, let's say you live in the United States and you speak American English and you fall in love with someone who lives in France and they speak French. Are you going to say we're incompatible as human beings because you speak French and I speak American English? No. Mm-hmm. You would go and learn. You would learn how to speak French and they would learn how to speak English as long as that willingness is there and you, you love them, you love them as a human. And so therefore you're willing to learn what their language is. So if you could also think of these blueprints as a tool to bust that myth of incompatibility, it isn't about it being incompatible. It's about the level of willingness to learn each other's erotic languages and to learn to also be able to move with the shifts and the changes that happen throughout a lifetime because sexuality isn't something that's static. It's something that changes. We have, we have many faces of our sexuality as we move through life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm so glad that you said that. Cause I think that's another place where we can really get tripped up. It's like, well, I, I was like this and now I'm not anymore. What's wrong with me. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Another one of those, what's wrong with me. I think inherently mm-hmm. we go to this, I'm not enough. I'm broken place. If anything, I hope that this discussion today around the blueprints, and this is one thing we hear from people who take the quiz, is, oh my gosh, I'm not broken. I'm not weird. I'm not wrong. I'm just this blueprint. And I just didn't know. You know, I speak French and I didn't even know that I'm (laughs) you know. (laughs) So, okay, so let's lay out the blueprints for us. Great. So there's five of them. And the first one is the energetic. The energetic is someone who's turned on by anticipation, space, tease, longing, and yearning. So all of that spaciousness, love, 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 feeling that spaciousness. Superpowers of the energetic. So one is that they are so sensitive that they can have orgasms without being touched. So across the room, they could have an orgasm from a memory. They could have an orgasm from the wind blowing the right way across their skin. So the, the less is more for an energetic. Just a very light touch could be like a ripple in a pond, and that could ripple out for the next 20 minutes. So this part of being able to be so orgasmic, and not only orgasmic in this realm, but also orgasmic in the transpersonal realm. So Stan Groff uh, coined the ter- term, term hologra- holotropic mm-hmm. and um, the transpersonal psychology. So when we move into the transpersonal realm, this might be something like I'm having orgasms on multiple dimensions or mm-hmm. I'm having orgasms as a goddess. Um, I've just become like, oh my gosh, I've just become full on. I am the trees and the wind and I'm feeling the orgasmic energy run through me. So there's this ability to go into altered states of consciousness with an energetic and to feel orgasms on many layers and dimensions. 
That's my, that's my blueprint, by the way. No, it is. I took the quiz. That's I could, I could, I was going to guess. I thought that might be yours. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Everything you were just saying, I was like, mm-hmm. Yep. Uh-huh. And that one too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the shadow side of the blueprint energetic is that the hypersensitivity, if someone doesn't know how to play that instrument or you, you don't know yourself, it can turn into like short circuiting. So let's say you're in the middle of something really hot and like you're about to kiss and it's about to move more physical and it's like all this arousal, all of a sudden the arousal goes away as soon as like someone goes for your genitals too quick, too fast, or it becomes physical too quickly, or it's just too much information for the energy system to hold. And so there's like a poof, where did it just go? Ah, it was like, it was so hot. And then it just, completely went away. So that can be short circuiting. Another shadow side can be hierarchical thinking. So what do I mean by that? That's basically where you're like, well, you're watching porn, you know, that's disgusting and base and not in your upper chakras. You're so stuck in your lower chakras and oh my God, you're eating meat. You are bad. (laughs) You know, I know because I used to be there. That used to be my biggest shadow. I would not date anyone who ate meat, watched television, you know, like wasn't like all spiritually yeah, whatever. Definitely moved through that level of arrogance too. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Spiritual ego all the way. Yeah. I am better than you because I don't eat meat, you know, that kind yeah. of stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's the energetic and there's more to each one of these. I'm giving you guys cliff notes just to make sure we get them all in today. So the, the sensual is the next one. And the sensual is someone who's turned on by all of their senses being ignited. So that's taste and smell and touch. When you think of the energetic, it's like space between. It's about feeling all the space and the anticipation between. But the sensual, it's like, let me put my body against your body and rub it all over and dance and move and have the music and I want to lick you. It's that kind of energy. <laughs> the superpowers of the sensual are they, that they bring the beauty to the erotic experience. So this is going to be the candles are going to be right in the room and the smells. They've got the essential oils going in the bath and just all of those beautiful things and delights. They can also have orgasms that are non-genital orgasms. So things like the back of your knee or, um, you know, someone just gets going right and like the right little crevice of your body. So it can be head to toe, full body orgasm when fully embodied and in their body. It is a glorious experience of that embodiment. Now, the shadow side of the sensual is that they get caught in their heads and can't get in the body, which is where all the fun stuff is happening. So mm-hmm. they're in the middle, and maybe you guys relate to this where you've been in the middle of sex and you know things are really hot, and then all of a sudden you have that thought. And it's it could be a thought about your body. Maybe it's like, oh gosh, I hope I didn't have like a little fleck of toilet paper down there in between something, <laughs> you know. <laughs> or it's that you know, oh, I, I forgot to get the laundry out yeah. it's been there for the day. And I know it's going to smell moldy later, you know, <laughs> or it's the person you forgot to call back. And then that loops into something else. And then that it loops into something else. And now you're in your mind and no longer in your body. And that starts to take you out. And like the energetic, when it short circuits, the arousal level now goes down and orgasm can seem elusive, especially if you get in your head about chasing it. So it's that I'm so close. Oh no, I had a thought. Oh, ah, you know, and you're like going back and forth and 
can feel like you're kind of chasing orgasm versus fully in it. Another shadow can be um, mess, you know, not liking mess and being distracted by smells or like everything kind of has to be perfect or else it starts talking to you in the room. It's like that pillow's crooked and oh my God, his whiskers are hitting me this way or oh my goodness, you know, if I just if he would just trim his nails, you know, like you start to think all those things in the moment and you've just lost it completely. So then you just mm-hmm. often time will lay there and wait for it to be over, which is not a happy place to be mm-hmm. either. Yeah. So energetic, sensual. And as you're listening, maybe some of you are already relating to those two, because I have a feeling that a lot of your listeners probably fall into those two mm-hmm. categories. And if you guys want to go take the quiz, you can go to eroticbreakthrough.com and go there and you'll get like a little video of me talking at the end, just telling you a little bit more about your blueprint. All right. So the next one is the sexual. And as you can guess, this is my primary blueprint. Energetic is my secondary one, at least when my partner and I were having so much struggle. Mm -hmm. And so sexual is turned on by penetration, nudity, direct, simple sex, intercourse, penetration, orgasms. We like our orgasms. (laughs) So superpowers of the sexual, fun, play, simplicity to sex. Sex equals we have an orgasm. We rub together and orgasm happens. (laughs) And usually that involves penetration, hardness, wetness, something like that. And this can be from zero to 60 in no time. So arousal is usually high, very quickly. A thought can stimulate it and then boom, it's the game is on. It can also be that orgasm is easy. Um, multi-orgasmic people, people who just come very easily and quickly, this is usually in the sexual category. The sexual also, um, there's just a joy. There's a freedom in the sexual and there's a high drive to a sexual sex is their way to relax everything is right in the world to a sexual sex is food air water and love Mm. it is a need and so the sexual feels like oh all right i've had my orgasm i've had my sex i'm loved it's all good okay and now i can go back out there and conquer the world so that very much has the energy to it and i think the sexuals get a bad rap because it's like, oh, you just want sex all the time. Oh, you're just objective. Like these are things I hear, you know, people say about sexuals. And and if you think of it, if you can put it in the frame of this is water, and for a sexual, this is food. This isn't just some mm-hmm. thing we do. This is this is a need and a necessity as part of how they feel loved. I think that that really helps shift that frame. Totally. Yeah. I mean, this sounds like sort of the typical masculine model, right? That's Yeah. We put this into gender. We put this yeah. into, this is how men behave or should yeah. behave. Right. But I can tell you from my practice, oh my goodness, this is not true. And we've, we've now surveyed, I think it's, I think we're up over 70, I forget how many people, but it's up over like 70,000 people now. And what we see is this gender does not fall into our gender stereotypes. So it's Mm -hmm. not like men are all sexuals. We have many energetics, many sensuals, many shapeshifters, many kinky. So there's a lot. I just told you all of them there. (laughs) 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 So any of you who are, that had that anticipation, you just got the names of them. (laughs) Um, 
so yeah, so the sexual shadow, however, is this, they drive to the end of the orgasm. Like for me, it was like, if I didn't have an orgasm, you know, like I needed to have that orgasm. That was where all the relief came. Yeah. Like the goal oriented kind of. Yep. So there can be too much goal orientation, too much limited definition of sex. So sex equals penis inside vagina in heteronormative situation in which everyone has an orgasm, Mm -hmm. Um, or at least I have an orgasm. (laughs) So (laughs) the sexuals can also be very selfish, whereas it becomes like, it's about me. It's about my pleasure. It's about my orgasm. I mean, I've heard stories from people where it's like, I've had these clients of, well, well, they never ask about my orgasm. You know, like they never even check to see if I've had an orgasm. And so that, that could be that kind of like selfish, the sex, sexuality is all about me and my pleasure. And it equals this penis inside, go, 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 go. until someone has an orgasm and then that's, we're all good. You know, roll over, fall asleep. <laughs> what we see in movies, what we see right. in we, our culture is sexually wired. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the next one is our kinky. So kinky is anyone who's turned on by the taboo of sex. And there are two different kinds of kinky. So one is psychological based, meaning it's the taboo of power over gameplay, role play. And then the other is sensation based. And sensation based is someone who like loves the feeling of constriction or they loves being spanked or they love playing on the edge of pain. So this can be this area where sensation meets psychology. And that can be, that could even be a third type as someone who's turned on by both. My partner is a kinky who's turned on by both the psychological and is turned on by the sensation. I, on the other hand, as I, as I moved into expanding into the kinky, which was not on my chart even, mm-hmm. um, he did psychological with me and that was really hot because it tied into the energetic. It was hugely helpful for us where he would like tell me to stand across the room in like a dress and then he'd like be like, okay, spread your legs like a good girl. And oh my God, was this such an edge for me, but it was such a turn on. And then he'd like have me lift my skirt slowly, you know, like slowly lift your skirt because I want to see what kind of slut you are underneath there. You know, something like that. It's like, oh my gosh, like so, such a turn on. So that psychological aspect for me was the edge and, and where the juice was for me as well. So the kinky superpowers, these are people who, like an energetic, could have orgasm, go into altered states of consciousness. They call it subspace for people who are in the submissive uh, part of role of it. Mm-hmm. And the dom could be dom space. Both people can go into altered states of reality and consciousness, transpersonal states. And in this, you could have orgasms without being touched. I had a friend who once had an orgasm just from the the... Dom slammed the door, you know, and it was an instant orgasm just from that cue. So there can be things that are played in and wired in psychologically that can be cues just to go straight to orgasm. Other superpowers is this can be incredibly like creative. So I could explore in the realm of kink for the rest of my life and never explore all there is to play with and create. And there's just, it's like limitless in the container so it's interesting. It's like a limitless container that you can play in within the realm of kink. 
So then the shadow side of the kinky, here, here's the shadow, which is my own partner didn't tell me he was kinky. It was six years into our relationship, maybe six and a half before we actually found out that he, he knew he was kinky, but before I found out he was kinky. And this is what I do for a living. So I was like, oh my gosh, how hard it must be for people who have the deep shame. Yeah. There's so much shame about who I am and why am I turned on by this and why do I like this that they, they will hide or just be in the shame or not talk to their partners for fear of being rejected, which is, you know, can rightly so happen because we have a culture that doesn't understand or talk about. It's better since Fifty Shades of Grey that really opened up some conversation about kink, but we still have a long way to go. And so there's a lot of shame about being accepted or being judged, uh, being pathologized for this. And really the, the matter of the fact, the studies show that most people who are kinky actually have better mental health. <laughs> so you know, there's, we're breaking a lot of myths here today. And I think it's really important because we have a lot of constructs around sexuality that just simply aren't true and need, in my opinion, need to be broken down. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. So another uh, kinky can be a shadow is because of the hiding and the, the charge around it, which the taboo is what the turn on is about here. Sometimes though we get into a rut that becomes like a pattern of turn on that becomes a rut that becomes a grave, which could be that I only have one route to turn on and it's because it's so naughty. And then I'm like hiding it or, or something like that, that that becomes that, that route to turn on then becomes my only way that I can get turned on. And therefore, if I, if I'm, let's just say I'm single and I'm dating Jack Morin in his book, um, the erotic mind, highly recommend that book talks about a man and who was turned on by wearing a yellow raincoat. But then what happens when the yellow raincoat becomes the only route to turn on and you're dating and you're like, how do I explain this yellow raincoat? And how do, how do I move away from and into what my partner likes? So that can become a shadow when there's one thing that just becomes so charged and has so much charge around it that it's the only thing that leads to turn on. Hmm. All right. The last one is the shapeshifter. And the shapeshifter is someone, if you've heard yourself in all of this, I went, yes, that's me. And that's me. And that's me. And that's me too. The shapeshifter is the one who is all of these and therefore can speak any of these languages. So it's like someone who is multilingual. That's the superpower. I can shapeshift to be any great lover, depending upon who's in front of me. And I have the ability to speak all of these languages. The other superpower of the shapeshifter, which I'm always in awe of, is that they can receive and give and receive and give for hours upon hours upon hours upon hours, and they don't short, short circuit. It's like their capacity to receive and give pleasure is endless. I've seen shapeshifters on the massage table with six, 10 hands on them, and it's two hours later, and they're like, more, more, <laughs> more, just, just more, and we can go for another two hours, and it's more. It's like, okay, does anybody tap out yet? You know, like, where's the, where's the end? And there really isn't an end because it's just unlimited. It's an unlimited capacity to receive and give pleasure. So the shadow side of the shapeshifter is somewhere along the line, they've often told they're too much. You are too much. You want too much. You desire too much. How can you ask for this? Oh my goodness. 
So they shut down because they feel like they're too much. Another is that they can shapeshift to be anybody's lover. So let's say you're a shapeshifter and you have a sexual partner, but you're always being sexual because you can, because that's part of your shapeshifter nature. However, the rest of you is starved. So your energetic is starved and your sensual star is starved and your kinky and your shapeshifter are all starved because you've been playing sexual most of the time because you can but that leaves you very, very starved in your sexuality and not feeling fully fed, which then leads to resentment and all mm-hmm. kinds of little snippety things that can happen in the relationship because we, a lot of us are starved, actually. According to our research, we've seen over 60% of people feel starved in their sexual relationship, regardless of if they're a shapeshifter or not, just the shapeshifters seem to be the most starved out of everybody. Yeah. So there we go. Those are the blueprints, energetic, sensual, sexual, kinky, and the shapeshifter. So are there blueprints that are like, that seem to be a little bit more at odds with one another than so others? I wouldn't say at odds. Um, it, just because, again, just away from the compatibility myth. Yeah, right. Um, what I do see, however, is that we do play differently. So let's say a sexual and an energetic get together. The sexual is always running towards the energetic. The energetic's always running away. Mm-hmm. Like that would be a dynamic that would happen. That each one of the blueprints, in terms of, if I'm going to use the word compatibility, have strengths and weaknesses. Put two energetics together. And if they have any other blueprint mapping, that's not going to work out because eventually you're going to have just two energetics who don't have any sex charge. They just don't have any charge together sexually and erotically, and therefore they feel dissatisfied because there's just not the desire for each other. They can play in the anticipation and yearning and longing all day long. Or two energetics who love the anticipation, longing, and yearning that they keep creating situations in which they actually can't be together. Let's say they're married to someone else. So they'll create that situation over and over and over again. So it doesn't, the same, that the the thought would be, oh, the same blueprints are going to create the heat, the heat and hotness in the blood bedroom, but that isn't necessarily the case. Two sexuals together, that can be great, but it always has that same flavor of, and then that gets boring after a while. Okay, I touch your boobs, then okay, great. Um, you know? So, so my partner and I, going back to our story, yeah. he is primarily kinky and sensual is his secondary. So kinky, sensual. I was in our relationship then primarily sexual and energetic secondary. Guess what? He was zero. So if you guys go take the quiz, it's eroticbreakthrough.com. Um, it'll give you the percentages of each blueprint, like what you are, because everybody's a mix of all of these. So you'll see primary, what your primary blueprint is and then what your secondaries and you know how that all falls for you. So I was zero kinky on my test. So when the percentage came back, it's zero kinky. Mm. He was zero sexual on his test. Mm. So his primary is kinky. My primary is sexual and we're zero in each other's. And there was the challenge, right? It, but the challenge isn't that per se. The challenge is that we were unconscious that that was the case. So now what do we do? Now that we realize we're complete and total opposites, we start to learn each other's blueprints. He goes and expands into energetic, which was the easy, uh, easier access for him, which is why we chose energetic for him mm-hmm. as opposed to sexual. And I went and expanded into kinky 
kinky was easier for me actually than sensual. So we, we went and we learned each other's blueprints and oh my goodness, it was like, we couldn't walk into a room without like that smile. I don't know if you know that smile when you like somebody and you walk mm-hmm. in the room and you can't help it. It just goes on your face. No matter how hard you try not to smile and blush, there it is. <laughs> we had that all over again and we were six and a half, seven years into our relationship. And it was just like magic when we just figured this out and he learned mine. I learned his. Now I talked earlier about how my sexuality and my sexual identity being tied to my work because I was supposed to be the sex goddess. Right. And like, I'm supposed to be having this much sex. I should be having sex every day, twice a day. Like I had a lot of rules around who I was supposed to be because of the profession that I had, but also my whole life I had a high sex drive. And so last, and I also didn't realize that this was, it wasn't so much coming out of trauma. It was just coming out of this identity of who I was as mm-hmm. Jaya. Mm-hmm. And I went and did trauma healing um, using plant medicine. And it was the most, and I was anti any of that stuff before this. But last year I really hit rock bottom. I checked everything in my life. I don't know if any of you relate to this, but it was like, I had the money, I had the relationship, I had the beautiful family, I had health. I had checked all the boxes and I was like, what's the point of all this? Mm-hmm. But I had severe tra- childhood trauma and was diagnosed with something called CPTSD, which means compl- complex post-traumatic stress disorder. The one blueprint that I could not seem to fully evolve into was the sensual. Because to me, the sensual was incredibly vulnerable. It was, there was a vulnerability about it. And a, like, I had an aversion to like, ew, gross, romance. Um, <laughs> I had an aversion to human comfort, like deep love. Not that I, I wasn't afraid of love. I love my partner, but it was the vulnerable, um, I need you, I'm feminine and soft, and I'm going to allow you to take care of me, and I'm going to admit that I need your comfort. I'm going to be that vulnerable that I'm going to, I'm going to attach. Mm-hmm. It was an attachment challenge that I was having. And so anyway, long is a very long story. Long story short, I got to a rock bottom place where I was like, I'll do anything. And someone told me about psychedelic therapy. And so I went found someone to work with, and it radically changed my life. So you're working in the context of a, like a psychotherapeutic relationship yes. with a yes. practitioner? It, absolutely. So working in the concept, uh, I had someone there sitting for me for the whole session, and the first session was a miracle. After that first session, I did not have one, not one of my triggers and not one of my symptoms of CPTSD that I had prior to this. And I was able to fully, after that, I fully went into sensual and energetic. So my blueprint completely shifted. I was sensual, energetic, and my, I had this huge revelation during the session around my sexual identity being attached to who I had been and allowing that to completely dissolve. So I just melted the sexual identity completely into poof, and um, my partner kind of didn't know what to do, but because we had the language of the blueprints, I and mean, it wasn't that he didn't know what to do. He was just like, uh, it was just such a new place. Sure. As he'd come to bed and initiate sex, guess how he would initiate sex? 
do you want to have sex tonight? Like a sexual, what would I do? Oh, let's just see how it unfolds. And I cannot tell you how many times I heard that from him. Let's just see how it unfolds. Let's just see what happens because the sensual likes to be in the mystery of Mm -hmm. like yum and let it unfold and not really have a goal. Mm -hmm. And we had completely shifted roles after this. It was just so amazing to see how that medicine affected my sexuality in terms of that. And now I'm moving into shapeshifter territory, which I never thought I'd do, but now my nervous system can actually handle it. Part of the hypersensitivity of my nervous system as an energetic was based upon trauma. So that part was definitely based on all the trauma that I experienced. And so now I'm able to hold so much more capacity than I ever could before. It's pretty astounding what's happening now. I, I think it's really fascinating that the medicines are coming forward. They've come forward a few times on this show, and it's it's not a surprise to me. I've for anyone who who has listened to this for a long time knows me knows that I've done a lot of work. Most of my training, if you will, has been um, in different indigenous communities and ceremonial contexts, and so you know medicines have been a part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, at some point on the journey, not not all the time, and I I have a very expanded definition of of medicines. I consider fire ceremony to be medicine, um, but but when we're talking specifically plant medicines, um, I think it's undeniable that there there is a wisdom there, and there is a a symbiosis there, and and I think it's very important. Um, and I just want to stress this for for the listeners out there that you did this in a held container in a context and that and I I think I can't stress the importance of that enough whether it's in a psychotherapeutic relationship or in a ceremonial context with someone who is holding a lineage um, and who is a trusted elder and um, and and has a lot of respect within their community I mean even that there's there can be some controversy around and I, I know a lot of people who've gotten in situations that um are less than favorable. And I tend to be incredibly discerning when it comes to, you know, who I would sit with or who I would recommend someone else to sit with, because I think there are a lot of people out there who are misrepresenting the medicines and, and they're powerful and they, anything that's powerful can also be powerfully misused. And so I I think, and yet to, to hear you, like others have given these testimonies to the potency of, being able to really, I mean, I'm going to say it, reverse trauma, yeah. that's, that's huge. And yeah. to, to gloss over the value of that, I think it would be a real mistake. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, maps.org, M-A-P-S.org. They're doing a lot of research right now with uh, different medicines, MDMA and uh, psilocybin mm-hmm. and for trauma and that. That's where I came across it. Someone else had healed CPTSD and uh, said, you know, check this out. And that's where I went. And I know they're doing a lot of research and fast tracking that research because so many veterans now have been helped to have suffered from PTSD, but it is a controlled container. So I, I say, don't try this at home, kids, because uh, seriously, it really, really that container was, if I hadn't had that container, if it just been like at a party or, you know, me by myself or uh, no, it not what happened would not have happened. The yeah. set, setting and all of that is vital in in these cases yeah i mean you can re-traumatize yourself yes and you can you can go I and mean, we're talking multi-dimensional realities here like especially in the context of some of the ceremonies that i've sat in with like ayahuasca or yahe which whichever word you use for that 
Um, I mean, the, the people who are trained in these lineages, who have an understanding of these medicines, the, the psilocybin, they call it the holy children, they, these, these uh, trainings have been handed down for generations and generations and generations, and they're not just looking after your physical well-being. They're looking after you in multidimensional spaces. Yeah. And, and that is so flipping important, especially if you're in a group setting. Um, I, I like that it's starting to happen in these more, you know, one-on-one therapeutic contained contexts because I think it creates a bridge for people who maybe wouldn't be drawn to or or it wouldn't even come into their sphere of awareness to to sit in more of the ceremonial spaces that I've found myself in over the course of my life. And I, I love that that bridge is being built. But yes, I, I can't stress the importance of the container enough because yeah. you can you can heal your trauma and you can also traumatize yourself with these medicines. <laughs> And it was a huge place of shame for me. You know, I was, I was an anti-drugs and alcohol kid. Like I, I've never still to this day been drunk, you know? So like, this was like a, you know, I don't eat sugar. It was was like, this is a hardcore thing for me to go do. I really had to hit a place of deep on the floor suffering before I was open enough to go and explore this because, and this is only the second time on a podcast I've talked about it, but um, publicly. So it's, it's still, it's getting more and more, you know, that shame is peeling away. And the more I see the research, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is opposite of everything I was ever told. You know? Yeah. Like, well, you know, what's interesting is that, you know, you, you, you preface this by saying you were an anti-drugs and alcohol kid. And I think that part of the problem with these plant medicines is that we have this idea of them as drugs. I remember because of how they're used, right? And and because, you know, some of them are manufactured and they're street drugs and 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 sold in a really shady way, but it it feels to me almost like what we're doing in the realm of sexuality of breaking out this this um this level of shame and this this shadow that we've placed and this taboo that we've placed around it. I remember sitting in ceremony with a with a a taita from Colombia and it, it was an amazing ceremony in that like there was this one part of the ceremony where it was it almost felt like a networking meeting. Like everyone was up and walking around, which is usually not what happens. Usually everyone is sitting and contained and in their, in their prayer. Um, and I ended up with the translator and talking with the Taita. And he asked me at one point, he said, why? I don't understand why people think this is a drug. Mm. He had no cultural context for it being used as a drug because in his culture, I mean, the children are brought up in that community. In mm-hmm. his culture, the children come to ceremony. They, they put a little drop of the yahe in the baby's mouth or on the baby's forehead when, the, wow. when they're born. Like it's, it's part of their culture. It's part of their lineage. It's a medicine. Um, and, and so to think of it as a drug is like, like would never even cross their mind. Because it's just so ingrained in their cultural experience and in the way that they relate with the larger universe around them and in their environmental context. So I think that we really are, I, I mean, I, th- I feel like the medicines are really emerging and wanting to be recognized. Um, it feels to me very much like a part of this divine feminine resurgence that Mm-hmm. that we talked about a lot on this show it's like the the earth there are there are medicines here that were put here for our healing and they want to be known and they want to be recognized as such but in order for them to be medicine we have to we have to come to them with reverence and respect and we have to treat them like medicine i agree aho yeah <laughs> yeah and it ties into to me there was such a tie and a link between sexuality 
and these medicines when I was in there, you know, in, in that inward space. And I was just having all these ahas around like, wow, the most taboo things, these taboo things, the thing we've created all this construct around sex. And it's like sex is another place of freedom and awakening yes. to who we are yes. and these medicines. And, and then I, you know, as I was integrating a lot of my experiences, cause I had quite a mystical experience uh, in one of my sessions that just was like, okay, everything has changed now. <laughs> you know, I can't ever go back mm-hmm. <laughs> to the matrix, but, um, which was completely unexpected. I had no idea that that was going to occur for me. And, uh, at any rate, this, this idea of finding our essence outside of the constructs and outside of even, you know, who, who am I and who is my partner and who are we playing, which I've been playing for many years with different erotic personas Mm. and in integrating that became a really important piece. We're like, who are all these personas and parts of, of identity sexually and erotically and how do we integrate those pieces and parts and, and studying about Buddhism and the left-handed path and how the left-handed path was all the taboo things versus, you know, the people who fasted and did green juice and, you know, <laughs> lived in a cave. There was, there was a left-handed path where we were like, we partied, you know, in a, in a, in a not recreational way, in a recreational way. Yeah. And I was just so taken by that. It's been such a big part of my integration to really see the links between the shame with sexuality, the shame with these medicines, and so deeply healing to see it in a, as a path to awakening to our deepest essence. And the more that I integrate these parts and personas of my eroticism, which has been so much fun. I'm working on one right now called Octopussy. Ooh. Um, But I've done about seven or eight of them. And it's just so much fun to dive deep into, well, what's a part that I'm reclaiming? You know, what part did I disown and made bad and wrong? Oh, I made bad and wrong money. Or I made bad and wrong being a total slut. Last year I did a persona called Puddles who was like a total, like she was like the sluttiest of sluttiest sluts. And yet she also had this part of her that like wanted to be dominated by like a daddy, you know, like so edgy for me. It was so edgy and pushed all my edges, but so like she roller skated, we started going roller skating and, you know, she has pink pigtails and she eats funnel cakes and French fries. You know, I put on 15 pounds when I was playing with puddles, but you know what? I never had delight like that. Never. When you say you were doing these personas, this is like, you actually like, we're like, I'm going to take on this character and I'm going to fully play into it in my life. Did you give yourself like a timeline for that? Or like how did you... We do a six-week piece on the personas. So each, you know, the first week is kind of clearing the antithesis, the nemesis to the persona, the part of you that's like the marm that, you know, I I have Gertie, the gatekeeper. Uh Um, You can't be a slut. No, you have to, you can only have sex with 10 people. And then when you've had sex with over 10 people, then you're a total slut, you know? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that part in my head that says, <laughs> that <Oops>. says <laughs> you know? and so you know any kind of gatekeeper nemesis to this part you're trying to reclaim so if you're trying to reclaim in your let's just use the slut archetype in your system you want to reclaim that ability to just go for it and own it and love it and be in pleasure and be totally slutty then the first week is clearing that nemesis. And then we just go deep, deep, deep. My, my background is in acting. And so mm-hmm. it came from a character study class that I took mm-hmm. of playing the opposite character. 
who is an opposite character to yourself. And for 10 weeks, you play that opposite character until the last week you're living that opposite character full time, which is so much fun. And so by the end of it, I've done a big photo shoot usually as the persona and I fully, fully gone in and then integrated the persona so that that charge is no longer there. Hmm. I love it. That sounds so fun. I have a background in acting too. So there's that part of me that's like, that sounds so fun. Um, I really just want to say thank you for this conversation. This has been really wonderful. We went to some places I did not expect, and I'm just so grateful for, for the synergy and what wanted to come through here. Um, yeah, thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Is there anything that you want to make sure that our listeners hear before we sign off today? Yeah. Go to take the quiz, eroticbreakthrough.com. A lot of people, just that process of really thinking about their sexuality for the first time for some people and going and learning more about you know who they are as an erotic being. And then, and then that it's a journey in some ways, and it's not a journey. You already are it. I I see the journey more as an uncovering of who you really are when it comes to our erotic selves. And so it's a peeling back of those constructs and pieces to really get to the deepest essence. And then the the final piece I want everyone to know is that you're enough. You're not broken or wrong. Mm -hmm. And in essence, you are love and -hmm. you are love. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you so much. And to our listeners, thank you. Thank you for your continued support for showing up for listening um if you have not yet joined us in the superpowers or real group on facebook come and do so come play with us at superpowerexperts.com check out our programs we want to have more interaction with you so come and join us over there and until next time go out and love yourself so that you can love the world more deeply many many blessings are you ready to discover your superpowers go now to superpowerexperts.com and take the superpower quiz today